Well, hello there and welcome. This is Story You Talk Radio, and I'm your host, Coach Debbie. I come to you live every Thursday at 4 o'clock Pacific Time and 7 p.m. on the Eastern Coast. In fact, I have a wonderful guest today, John David Mann, joining me, who is the Eastern Coast man that I love to talk to so much. So we're going to be getting to him in just a second. We're going to talk about what I love to call the three P's of writing, and that is your process. Mm -hmm. It's essential. Your perfection, because you know it's there. You know you feel it. And your persistence, because you know what it feels like to be in the groove with that and to get out of groove with it. And we're here to help you with that. Whether you tend to listen because it's the stories you live by or the memoir stories you're writing or the TED Talk stories you're featuring in the speeches you're compiling, I would love, love, love to support you on that journey. I am a longtime writing teacher and I went entrepreneurial a few years ago, five years ago. And this radio show is one of my, my very heart-content hours of the week. Uh, I come to you live every single Thursday. We also offer a replay if the afternoons are not good for you. And that is on Friday here at KKNW. It's 6 a.m. Pacific Coast time and 9 a.m. Eastern Coast time. So if you're Back to work, driving on in. Why don't you turn on KKNW and give us a listen. If you are far and away from the Seattle area, you can always download the app on your phone. Don't text and drive, but do listen to Story You Talk Radio. I have all kinds of offers going on right now. If you are writing your memoir or if you want to go on retreat, mm. Oh, I have a luxury retreat coming up. One of the things that's so luxurious about it is you're not going to do much writing. Mm -mm. I have chefs all ready to cook for you. We have a beautiful room to lounge in and converse. And definitely, I have a little workbook that goes with it, and I'll be leading you through some exercises. But this is not one of those write your book in a weekend type thing. This is not a work hard retreat. It's a real bona fide, put up your feet and relax retreat. You're going to come into your beautiful room here in Northeast Seattle to find a sunk in bathtub, a fireplace, a balcony, room service. What what else could you want? You can even bring your puppy if you arrange that in advance. I got you covered. That's October 14 and 15 in Seattle. I have one room left for couples and I have two more rooms left for singles. And I hope you can join me. If you want to comment on today's show or talk to me about a retreat or mentoring why don't you head on over to Facebook and you can go to my professional page, which is Coach Debbie, that's D-E-B-B-Y, Coach Debbie, or you can go to my personal page, which is Debbie Handrich, and Handrich is just like it sounds. It's H-A-N-D-R-I-C-H. I would love to gather your questions for the show today, read them on the air, give you some live coaching. We just need your first name and your question. Or you might even address that question directly to my guest, who is John David Mann. I want to say that he and I have hung out together on the airwaves probably two times before, maybe just once, but I want to say it's been at least two times I love having him back because he is prolific. Oh, my goodness. And it started in his teens, started as a cellist, a classical cellist. He has won prizes for 
not only his music, but for his writing. And those prizes are as long as my arm. He is the son of Alfred Mann and had the opportunity as a young man to conduct the chorus in, uh, I believe that was New Jersey. I need to check with him on that. And that got him in line to meet some people that I just bow down to, like Leonard Bernstein. Oh, my goodness. So, so John has been at it since he was a young man. And recently, I caught wind on Facebook, of course, where all the good stuff about writing is going on. You don't have to read that other stuff, you know. You could just skip over it and just read about the, the great stuff going on with writers. That's what I do. <laughs> and I noticed he was embarking on fiction. He came together with Brandon Webb. And there was some collaborative story going on in the background. They've done some work together before. And John produced the book, Steel Fear. Oof, I, I caught my first interview about this book just recently. And even hearing the premise of it gave me kind of the, the spine little shake you get sometimes when you think this, this feels very believable, very real. Uh, so often our stories are inspired by something real, but a fiction writer knows you have to make it believable, but you can't. You can't just follow something that was oh so completely true. And that's where the fun begins. So I have so much to share with you, but I just, I don't want to wait. Let's bring him on the show. Welcome, John. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Debbie. Thank you so much for having me back for the third, fourth, fifth. The first time we talked, it already felt like it was like two or three times. It did. It did. And that's one of the things I love about having you here is we just join in and have a conversation. I don't I don't script the show. I have to remember what I want to talk about. I have a few little notes here, but I just I really love to invite people on that are willing to just sit down and chat with me and help me coach my people. So thank you for saying yes. Oh, it's my pleasure. I don't, I don't, I don't do scripts well. Yeah, it's a conversation. It's a conversation. Well, you know, I was talking to one of my students. I've, I've really gotten into memoir more and more over the years and, and offering classes where we focus on memoir writing. And I tell my students the the hero inside of you went on a journey and sort of scaled a mountain, if you want to say. And the more heroine energy is going to write the book. I try to let my students know it, it doesn't have to be like scaling the mountain all over again. Writing the book can be a peaceful and simplified process. <laughs> I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not it's saying enough. your heart won't be involved, but it it doesn't have to be another Mount Everest. But I know you have more experience with this than I do. Do you agree with that? Or, or what do you have to say? What's it like to write a whole book? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've done about, I forget, six, eight, ten, a bunch of, of memoirs yeah. um, among the books I've written. I've written about 30 books, or I've published about 30 books, um, roughly. And maybe a third of those are have been memoirs of one sort or another. So, you know, a memoir is like, you are telling somebody else's story. You are telling somebody else's life. And yes, typically... Writing a memoir is not a life-threatening proposition. Yeah. And when somebody, you know, if you write a memoir about somebody who spent his entire adult life as a, a political operative during the day and a raging alcoholic and drug addict at night, mm -hmm. you don't have to do either of those activities to write the memoir. So, yeah, that's true what you're saying. On the other hand, <laughs> on the other hand, you know, what's for me, what's cool about a memoir, there, there, there are a couple of things I love about memoir. One of them is, yes, you're sitting down. And by the way, this even applies if you're writing something short, 
you're telling somebody else's story, describing somebody else's life, or even a little tiny piece of their life, say in a magazine article or in a blog post or in a, you know, it doesn't have to be a full-fledged book. But let's take a memoir, a book, you know, as an example. You're telling somebody else's story, which means that what you're writing has already happened. You are not making it up. That said, you still have to find the story. And typically, this is something that the person whose memoir you're writing can't do right. often. Uh, they don't really know what the story is. I mean, they know how it feels to be them. They know what they've done. They know what they've experienced. But your job is to soak up their experience, listen to their story, learn who they are, and then say, okay, where's the story here? What's the story here? Where's the high point? Where are the low points? What's the arc? What are the lessons? Where does it start? What is the starting moment, the little explosion that starts this story? What's the end? Where does it conclude? It doesn't conclude when they die because presumably they're alive because you're writing their memoir with them, right? So all of these are decisions that you also make when you're a novelist or you also make when you're making up a story and telling your kids a bedtime story. You make that up in a sense. So it's kind of weird, Debbie. It's like, it's all true, yeah. but you're making it up. Right. It's a story that already happened, but you have to create it. It's this weird paradox about memoir, which is really, really fun, uh, really, really challenging. And, you know, and f- the last thing I'll say is, is that about that is, with all that, you're also stepping into somebody else's shoes. It's like you're channeling their life. You have to kind of absorb the essence of who they are to the point where you could, you know, if they were making a film about that person's life, you could play them because you know them. Yes. You know how to channel them. So, yeah, it's a it's a very distinctive kind of weird and and very rewarding process. I feel that way too, and and like you, I have written memoir for other people. I, I've told people when they come to me and say, do you do ghostwriting? I tell them only for people that cannot write their own story, and what I mean by that is that they have a disability or they are of such an age that it won't work or something mm-hmm. like that, uh, but I know that you have written a memoir for those that, you know, they might have been quite capable, but they decided, oh, no, 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 I got to get a real pro in to do this. And I I appreciate the process of getting to know someone's story, but I also, I have found it uniquely challenging to explain to people, this is sort of in the area of creative nonfiction You know, we're being highly creative with a real story, but but we're not strained so far that it's no longer a real story. We we can't do that. There's these liberties we can take, but there's definitely liberties that we cannot take. So I'm curious in your own experience, while you have written for others. Would you say that one of the challenges is in the interviewing and and knowing what to find out so that the memoir is complete? Or is it more about going in the other direction and keeping it um, concise and really edited and carved down? Which Mm. for you do do you find is the most challenging? Mm. Uh, You know, so I'm going to I'm going to start out by saying the first of those two mm-hmm. that I think that there are, let me say this I think that a lot of the creativity a lot of the success of the memoir a lot of the you know sort of the nub of the thing happens just as you said happens in the interviews happens in in the interaction with in the process of actually gathering the story you know we've all seen tons of interviewers on television right and there are some interviewers that, you know, Oprah or um, Charlie Rose or, well, Charlie Rose is, you can't, can't say that anymore, can you? So, it, it, you know, <laughs> there, there, there are all kinds of, there are all kinds of interviewers that we've seen that we say, wow, they're really good because they managed to extract from their guest, you know, something really fascinating. 
they kind of bring out the best. Hey, this is true with podcast hosts. I've, I've noticed, mm. you know, it's true with, uh, with any, any form of interview. It's true for memoir too, because you can't just say, get in the phone and say, okay, Bob. So tell me 1973, what happened? <laughs> right. Right. Good. Yeah. Okay. 74. What happened? You know, it's just like, you are not a tape recorder. You are yeah. there to say, Bob, what was it like when you realized your father was a war hero for the first, you know, or whatever is going on. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it's the, the questions you ask. And by the way, for me, 80% of it is in listening to what they're saying, because I, I typically don't go into an interview, just as you said at the beginning of our chat tonight, I don't go in with a ton of scripted questions. I will have a list of things I want to find out, like factual things, things that I'm puzzled about or things that I'm fascinated about. But there's a whole lot more that I don't even know to ask about yet, because right. I don't even know it's there. So we'll we'll talk Typically, my interviews are, you know, they're almost, almost all by phone. It's how I work. It's my process. Uh, we get in the phone. I record the call, maybe 45 minutes long. I rarely go longer than that. Maybe an hour. But, you know, I, I love 40-minute calls. I get, you know, brain tired after that. And we'll start talking about a, a period of the person's life or, a, or an episode of their life. And I hear something that fascinates me I didn't know about. I'll ask them about that. And sometimes I keep notes and I make notes of things I need to ask next call because we're uncovering things, we're opening doors to rooms I didn't know existed. Um, you always want to gather more than you're ever going to use. Yes. That's true of any, any kind of creative anything. Um, you're always you know, producing more raw material that's going to go, than is going to go into the finished product. Um, but yeah, the other thing you said you know, the being concise, the finishing, the, you know, we'll talk about that later when we really get into process, I'm guessing. But yeah. for me, a big part of the memoir is the extraction of the story and how you ask it, how you interview. That's where, in a sense, you're at your most creative mm -hmm. because they don't know what to, they don't know what to tell you. I actually, you know. I've done memoirs for people who were so ADD. I, I use that that expression mm -hmm. kind of broadly and generically, but they were so all over the place that they would literally would not even finish an English sentence with capital letter at the beginning and a period at the end. It would just be like phrases like shotguns going for for forty five minutes, blah 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 blah, because that's just how their brain works. Yes, and they function magnificently in their walk of life, but it's just oh my gosh at the end of that. You, it's like you're putting together a jigsaw puzzle that someone has scattered all over the floor. Completely. And they took a few of the corner pieces, which is really throwing you off. Yeah. They're missing. I, and you don't know what the picture in the box looks no, like. No, you don't have a picture of the box. <laughs> I, so it can yeah. be a real detective. You have to be a detective sometimes to put these, put these stories together. I'm with you, John. I'm with you. And at the same time, I, I have to say it's... It's something that gives me absolute pure joy. It's one of the reasons I love, love, love teaching memoir. Thanks for delighting me in, in that topic. We are talking to John David Mann today, and we have more questions for him. But right now, we need to go to our first commercial. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Lisa Downs, host of Reigniting You, the show that takes a positive, forward-looking approach to mid-to-late career transitions for Gen Xers and Boomers every Wednesday afternoon at 3 o'clock Pacific. Whether you're looking to stay in the traditional workforce, do your own thing, or retire or semi-retire, Reigniting You is your source for career transition advice, inspiration, and insight for what's next in your career and life. Join me Wednesdays at 3 o'clock to get re-energized, recharged, and reignited. Alternative Talk 1150. It's good for what ails you. This statement has not been evaluated by the FDA. Welcome back to Story You Talk Radio. It's a pleasure to be here with you and to inspire you to keep writing. If you're listening to the show live, we are coming down to those last days in summer. I have to say here in Seattle, it's been a glorious summer. Not everyone agrees with me because we peaked over the 100 degree point a few or more days. But 
I live by the water, so it felt really good. And I enjoyed that. I enjoyed feeling like this is a real summer. Like we're not, we're not getting some wimpy summer here. This is the real stuff. And what I found, too, <laughs> is while I was basking under my, my little umbrella that protects me from a wild and crazy burn, I was noticing I wasn't doing that much writing in the summertime because for me, heat and writing, they don't go together so well. But here comes September. I love to write in the fall. I love to write in the winter. And I wonder if you do too. If you're thinking you've got a book inside of you, I've got a retreat all ready to go. It's October 14 and 15. Just send me a little note at Ask Coach Debbie. That's D E B B Y. Ask Coach Debbie at gmail.com. I'll get you all the details. And if you're thinking that's the start of a mentoring relationship, I can bundle that retreat with one of my mentoring, either 90 day or six month packages. And that will save you about $500, something I would love to offer you as one of my radio listeners. You can always go over to my website as well, which is coachdebbie.com. And once again, that is D-E-B-B-Y. want to give a quick shout out to some of my students right now. I want to say, Scott, I'm just sending a lot of love your way regarding your real life stories Heather, I just want to congratulate you for saying yes and being in those early days of drafting your stories. Nancy, you are doing great work launching your own book tour in Chicago. I am so proud. Tim, I would love to support your family with those legacy stories. Let's talk. Susan, your strength is bold, and I know you're going to be back to writing very soon. Rebecca, you are one talented person and a gem of a writer. And Bonnie, I just want to thank you for trusting me with your memoir and the deep topics you are exploring. And Don, your message is wise and it's provocative, and I cannot wait till I see you again. So there's my shout out to my students. Let's come back and talk to a pro John David Mann has been at work since he was a teen, a young teen, started as a cellist. Uh, my stepfather, number three, was a first chair cellist in the, um, 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 what do you call that? Air Force Air, thingy. Uh, band. Air Force band. Air Force band. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I was trying to pull out some Air Force One something something. I knew I wasn't going down <laughs> the right track. But um, I grew up with with classical music. My mother, um, very, very accomplished classical pianist. And then, you know, me, 10 years old, wanting to write, wanting to write the stories, wanting to write. And And so, John, your story, once it came my way, I want to say 2017, as you were bringing mm -hmm. together your book with Bob Berg, I loved, loved, loved the idea of collaborating with another. Can you tell us just a little bit about what goes into the process of writing when you are in collaboration with someone else? Sure. Uh, and there are different kinds of collaborations. Not everybody has the same uh, business model I have or the same sort of process model I have. Uh, I started out, as you, as you said, as a cellist, as a composer in classical music. And, you know, every musician, I think every musician, mm -hmm. uh, ha has a special place in their heart for playing in an ensemble, you know, in, in a duo, in a trio, in a quartet, in, a, in an acapella, singing in an acapella group being part of a string quartet or a woodwind quintet or being part of a high school band. When you're in a band, you're playing and you're also listening. You're accommodating to the other people. It's an ensemble, you know, it's, there's give and take involved. Um, and that's what a collaboration is like in a broad sense. The way I collaborate with my co-authors, as I said, I've published about 30 books. 
All but two of those um, have been co-authorships. I just published a book this year called How to Write Good, or at least Gooder. <laughs> or at, at least, least Gooder. Gooder. I love that part. <laughs> and that that book has no co-author. I just wrote it all oh. by myself. It's like really, it was really, really fun. It was like getting up on stage and playing your instrument. There's nobody between you and the audience. Just you. Just you. And so there's a there is a kind of a unique and special kind of, of fulfillment that you have when you are purely in dialogue with your with your listeners, with your readers, just you and them. Uh, and that's, you know, that's kind of the, the solo deal. But most of my books have been co-authorships. The way that I typically do those is honestly very similar to a memoir kind of setup in that mostly I do all I do all or a good part, the major part of the writing. Um, and the person that I'm working with either has a compelling story to contribute or has their own set of experiences or has, let's say, let's take the case of The Go-Giver, mm-hmm. which is the first you know big book I had. It's still the book that I'm best known for. I wrote that with my friend, Bob Berg, who's a wonderful man and a wonderful teacher, wonderful sales uh, coach, mm-hmm. and um, has written a bunch of nonfiction books, how-to books, completely on his own that have done very well. But when it came to writing a parable, which is like kind of a miniature novel to, that makes a point. Yeah. Uh, he said, this is just totally not out of my wheelhouse. I can't do this. And so he, he said, will you partner with me? Well, in that case, Bob had ideas. Bob had, had teachings. He had blog posts. He had articles. He had stuff that he said. And I had the same. I had stuff that I had taught because I've been in the same field. And stuff that, that you know, my blog posts took the two of us in our material and then it was it was largely my job to uh, to grind that through the food processor known as as the, uh, the writing process and to produce words in the page. Uh, so I have a three part process. Here's what it looks like real quickly. ABC. A is I'm gathering material for the book. If it's a memoir, I'm going to listen to their life story. If it's a co-authorship like with Bob. I'm going, to, I'm going to read all their stuff, talk with them, get the story idea put together. If it's a how-to, like it's somebody somebody writing a book about you know this business principle, I listen to all their lectures. I go see them speak. I, I gather stuff. Once I've got stuff gathered and I've filled files and files and folders and folders of raw material, then I close the door and I write the draft. And that's largely on my own. Then I start sharing it with my co-author. I say, hey, here's a, here's, a, here's a chapter, here's another chapter, here's another chapter. And they start bouncing, we go back and forth. And we take the last mile together. They say, this this is great, but you know, when I was doing this, actually I forgot, this happened. Go, oh, we'll change that. Mm-hmm. Now I just wrote a book with my wife, which is coming out in the spring, which is a little different because it's, it's sort of a two-part book and I kind of wrote the front and she pretty much wrote the back. I don't think I've ever done that before. Um, and that was really, really fun. Um, so, you know, every, honestly, Debbie, every co-authorship, every book is kind of its own f- version of that process because in some, I'm, I'm carrying the ball all the way. Um, I wrote a book with Spencer Johnson. Spencer was, was no longer living <laughs> when I wrote the book. So I can promise you, I did most of the writing, but you know, <laughs> I, I had Spencer's notes. I had stuff he'd left behind. So every book is different. The way it, sh- the way the responsibilities are shared varies depending on the situation and the person and the topic. Um, but you know, it's basically I'm. It's it's my job to to put words onto the page. Mm-hmm. And you do it so well. And I I don't hear, and I'm not saying it doesn't exist. But I don't hear a struggle with being persistent. I, I, more than anything, I hear you ce- celebrating the call to write the next thing. Uh, I don't have a problem with persistence, but that's just my nature. And I, I, you know, I think where I learned that first was playing the cello. You know, because when you're playing an instrument like the violin, or the cello, or the oboe, or the flute, or whatever it is, you practice. And practice, you always sound awful when you start. Well, guess what? When you write, it always reads awful when you start, you know, unless you're 
you know, some kind of one in a million exception to the rule. You said, you know, process, perfection, persistence, these three Ps. For me, one of the secrets to being a successful writer, and I don't mean by success that you make a million dollars. I mean by success that you finish things that other people read that touch their lives and that bring you satisfaction. Uh, you know, that can be on different scales and in different ways. But one of the secrets to being a successful writer is that you understand the relationship of those three things, yeah. process, perfection, and persistence. For me, process of writing is all about the separation of powers. You have two powers, kind of church and state in your writing, which is the creative process where you're just letting it rip where you're writing, you know, as if you're drunk, writing as if you can do no wrong, writing as if everything you write is perfect. And then there's the rewriting, revising, editing, perfecting process, that second P. And you can't do those at the same time. No. You can't edit while you write or you'll strangle the baby in the crib. Um, so the persistence of it comes with just knowing you have to go round and round. Get in one chair and be creative tomorrow morning wake up have a black coffee and get in the other chair and be critical and yeah. go back and forth and back and forth until it's done yes yes you know john i'm so glad you brought that up i i call it you know what's your hat of the day when i'm with my students ah. because i i have won far more awards for my editing than i have for my writing and yet people come to me and say, oh, I want to hire you to edit this. And I say, oh, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> and mm. and it's it's because there I, I'm like you, you know, I, I was I'm not like you in in the sense of accomplishment, but I'm like you in that my mother started me with the piano when I could barely touch the floor and ah. and it was scales and it was practice and it was daily and it was important and i loved it and so being disciplined and going to college and all of that just was natural you know i i didn't get a's because i was so dang brilliant i got a's because i did my homework you know there's something i love taking a sentence that i've written and, and I, as like you, I edited a lot for, for over a decade. I worked as an editor and it was good training ground. But I love taking a sentence that I've written, which isn't bad, which is even like maybe pretty good, certainly mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. And and going, wait a second, and changing one word. Yep. Or putting a, a phrase that was at the beginning and pulling out and putting it at the end instead. So it's a punch, changing a few words around and sitting back and going, oh, oh my gosh, now this thing just goes buzz. It's, yeah. it's like got a sting. Now, now it's better than good. And yes. uh, and you do that with one sentence, and then you turn around and do that with a book that has 100,000 words in it. it. It's just the same process. But here's the thing. I love that. And I think you have to. You have to be in love with the craft of making sentences better. Mm -hmm. uh, if you can't fall in love with that craft, then you're, you know, you're in trouble if you want to be a writer. That's because that's, yeah. that's the nub of it for me. Yeah, and and we have many people in today's world that have fallen deeply for that part of them that can create, and and they're we're, mm. we're trained these days to outsource, you know, that which mm. doesn't serve us, and and so while. Well, we might not want to edit for others. It behooves us to learn how to edit for ourselves if we want to write our own story. In fact, we have a question here from Christine. I'm going to try and slip it in here before our next little break. But she is Sweet. saying here, um, I've stepped away from my writing for some time simply because... I could not take it all in. I had so many thoughts on my mind at one time. I just couldn't get it all on paper. But now I've gone back, I've decided what matters, and I'm willing to go again. Would you say that it is best to send work out to someone before going through it myself, 
or should I take the bull by the horns and should I take the bull by the horns and wear all the hats like you said? Mm. Um, so I am deeply in favor of being wildly in control of my own writing. How about you, John? Yeah, I mean, when should you send it out to, you know, to a circle of readers or to an editor mm -hmm. or to your agent or whoever, whoever is the next in line to look at your stuff? Um, for me, I postpone that as long as I can. I, I'm like you. I want to, if I need to, and I do, and I think everyone <laughs> does, I'll set it aside. I'll put it aside for a day or two days or a week if that's what it takes. I'll set it aside for as long as I have to to get some emotional distance so I can come back to it and look at it a little bit like a stranger, sort of, yeah. and then go back and say, oh, gosh, you know, there is some good stuff here, but this just doesn't work at all. What was I thinking? You know, what was I drinking? What was I smoking? <laughs> uh, is, I think the answer to when do you send it out is when you've done everything you possibly can, when you've done everything you possibly can to make it as perfect as you can. That said, I do think there's, there's something that's really important about the writing process, which is that you finish stuff, you finish things, you finish a chapter, finish an article, finish a blog post, finish a, a, an essay, finish an op-ed, whatever you're writing, finish it. Uh, uh, you know, don't start three more things when you have one thing still unfinished. Uh, because Finishing is a huge part of the process, maybe the most important part. I, I honestly did not understand that for a long time. And, <sighs> and I, was, I was embarrassed, you know, to have these unfinished manuscripts in a Tupperware <laughs> under my bed. And I wouldn't talk about it to anyone. And then I thought, just go and say it on the radio. That'll cure you. You'll get back into it. You'll, <laughs> yeah. you'll, you'll fix that <laughs> real fast. Well, John, listen, get yourself a radio show and just tell everybody. Yeah, just tell the world. And, <laughs> and then, it, yeah, the shame has to go away and you got to get to work. <laughs> so we're going to take one more quick break. But when we come back, we're going to find out all about fiction writing. So stay tuned, my friends. Hi, this is Marilyn Milano. If you love animals, then please check out my new show, Love Has Many Faces, Tuesdays from 9 to 9.30 a.m. right here on Alternative Talk 1150. I'll be talking with rescue groups, animal advocates, and other organizations that help animals, sharing their stories, and giving our listeners some tangible ways in which they can help make a difference. That's Love Has Many Faces, Tuesdays at 9 a.m. right here on Alternative Talk 1150. Raising awareness, touching hearts, and saving animals' lives. Make it a great day. Keep your dial on Alternative Talk 1150. And welcome back. I'm talking today to John David Mann. He was just going to tell me a big old secret, so I hope he's going to remember. And <laughs> we're going to get to that at the end of the show here. We are... We are really serving you. Have you noticed here? We're talking about memoir writing. We're talking about developing our relationships, our collaborative relationships with other leaders and with those that even have noticed where our wheelhouse is strong and their wheelhouse is very supportive and the collaborative energies that come together produce something that we might not have imagined if we hadn't been open to the ideas of working together. We've talked about John's experience of writing someone else's memoirs. I've, I've only done this a couple of times, and I have to tell you, it's been hugely rewarding. In fact, just a little shout out to my sweetheart today because... Um, I should actually thank Match.com. That's where we met, and it was 10 years ago. We were on our first date right about now, um, and I was just having a great time, and he said, you know, I can tell you're kind of burned out from your teaching job. You should become a life coach and, and you know, maybe even consider radio. And I said, a life coach? What's that? I mean, I just—and 
And so sometimes you can be in these incredible situations, like on a first date and nervous as all get out, and someone puts a great idea in your mind, tips you off to a great teacher, asks you to be their co-host, and voila, 10 years later, you're not only celebrating love, but you got other things cooking in the background, and it all makes you just so dang happy. So anyway, he and I uh, have a have a memoir out there. It's called, uh, what's it called? <laughs> it's called Six Keys to Life Mastery by Todd Allen and Debbie Handrich. My name isn't on the cover of the book, but you know I was doing a lot of the work, so, <laughs> so feel for me, feel for me. But more so what I have spent time in, in my 20s especially and 30s, was fiction writing. I couldn't get enough of it. I just locked myself in. This is before the internet was invented. And I just indulged in character development and fiction. And I know, John, I know that this has been quite an experience for you. So take it away. What is still Steel Fear all about? Where the ideas come from? Working with Brandon, just Talk to us about it. Yeah, well, it has been, in some ways, it's just, it's writing. Everything is, everything writing is writing. There's a sameness, there's a similarity to it. But in most ways, it has been completely radically different experience. Writing a thriller, a a kind of a massive thriller, has been as different from anything else I've written as as, as I could imagine. Uh, I I like to tell people that, that writing an, one of my nonfiction books is kind of like walking a group through a museum. We go from this room, we go over now to this room, and here's this exhibit, and see this exhibit. And very good. Everybody follow me now. We're going through the hall. Now we're going over to this one, next chapter, and this topic. Writing the thriller is like leading half dozen terrified people at rapid pace running across a tightrope that's strung over the Grand Canyon. You know, it's like you can't let it drop for a second. Uh, uh, the the pace, the tension, it, it's a completely different animal. Uh, so the premise, Steel Fear, here's the story. A disgraced, disturbed Navy SEAL stalks a serial killer on an aircraft carrier in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And that's, this, that's the book. The, the premise started, the seed of it was a, an actual experience. Uh, my friend Brandon Webb, who was a former Navy SEAL, before he was a SEAL, he spent six months on the USS Abraham Lincoln on an aircraft carrier in, the, in a Westpac, a Western Pacific tour uh, out in the Gulf and, and, and around the, the Pacific. And this is in the mid-90s. It was when the Navy had just begun integrating women in combat roles on ships. It was the you know, first generation of female combat pilots. Um, and it was a major culture shift. You know, where are we we're going to put these women? It was about 6,000 people, roughly, on the aircraft carrier. And at this point, like 10, 15% of those were suddenly women. Mm-hmm. Where do they sleep? You know, where do they shower? How do we do this? And this is six months. Picture this. An aircraft carrier is roughly the size of the Empire State Building, steel tube on its side in the water with 6,000 people plug up both ends and say, see you in six months. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's... Uh, it's an extraordinary environment. Anyway, this culture shift was was you know profound, and on this particular tour, Brandon was on. There was a sexual predator on board. There was a guy who would sneak up to the women's shower area, put his hand on the door, and flip off the lights and run in and molest somebody, and then run. Mm. They and and he did this like six, seven times, eight times, and they never caught him. To this day, they don't know who it was. And the power structure on an aircraft carrier was in no way prepared to or capable of dealing with something like this, a crime like this, crime spree like this. And at the time, Brendan thought, man, what if it was a serial killer and these were murders? Mm-hmm. Then, you know, flash forward over uh, a decade later when he was in civilian life and writing his memoir, and I was his writer. It was our first book, The Red Circle, um, right. which is the story of his life. And uh, one of our very first phone calls, he said to me, hey, would you ever be interested in writing a thriller? And I, Debbie, this is like the farthest thing from 
<laughs> my experience, my skill set. You know, what? Yeah. And of course, <laughs> I said, of course, absolutely. I'd love to. The funny truth is I, I love reading great crime novels, great, great thrillers. I, I, I adore reading these things, but I never imagined I'd be writing them. But uh, here we are then. You know, 25 years after the fact of his experience on the Abraham Lincoln, I spent a day on the Abraham Lincoln. On the cover of the book is a picture of the Abraham Lincoln. The whole story takes place on that same ship. And mm. um, and that's Steel Fear. It just came out a month ago. Only a month now. Oh, yep. okay. Yep, brand new. Brand new. My, just launched my first novel. By the way, when Bantam Books bought it from us, they bought it as a, as a series. Um, they, it was a two-book deal. I've almost finished writing the second in the series, which will come out in about a year. Wow. Wow. You are a busy, busy man. You know, I, I grew up down, I'm, I'm guessing he's from San Diego. He's actually from Canada. His parents were Canadian hippies. Oh. Um, and he, and he, during his childhood, they kind of, they migrated down the coast and ended up in Northern California because they were sailboat freaks. They lived for, for years in sailboats on different sailboats. And so he, you know, landed in Southern California by, by life circumstance. And yeah, you're right. San Diego is where he ended up and he doesn't live there now, but that's, that's where he was stationed during his, his SEAL years. I see. Okay. When I was in elementary school, I went all through elementary school in San Diego and mm. the field trips uh, time yeah. and time again were to yeah. be a part of the Navy or the Air Force, I can remember being a child and telling my dad, you know, I'm, I'm going to marry one of those pilots, one of those blue angels. <laughs> I, I want one yeah. of those. And he said, well, when you get to be over the age of eight, why don't we have a chat about our background? Because I'm a conscientious objector, Debbie. And, and what's that? <laughs> you know, and I had no idea. But I didn't get to go to the, mm. um, to the, trips, you know, the trips that were planned for the kids. But as an adult, I went back to San Diego plenty, just out of curiosity. Like you said, I wanted to see this Empire State Building laying on its side, you know, size-wise, yeah. and all of that good stuff. But what, um, what I really, really, really think is so important for people to understand, and me not having read your book yet, I, I'm curious, did you find in your conversations with Brandon and preparing to write this book that the Navy SEALs or the, the that it is, it is a culture, it is, um, it is a way of life, and you, you come into it, and to some degree, you don't actually leave it. Is that so? Yes and no. It's interesting. I, we, we've done a bunch of books together that were more a memoir um, based on not just Brandon's life, but in the life of quite a few of his teammates, of other SEALs. Mm -hmm. And over the course of those books, Among Heroes and The Killing School, and of course, The Red Circle, his memoir, uh, I got to know dozens of people in the, in the SEAL community. Other SEALs, uh, um, their siblings, their parents, their, their, their children, um, friends, teachers, and so forth. And so I got to know, to some extent, as much as I could, that culture pretty well. Um, and yeah, it, it is absolutely a culture. It, it is a, a unique and fascinating culture. There's a huge sense of belonging to it. But here's the thing. Belonging, yeah. Getting out of the military uh, it is like, you know, my, my dad grew up in Germany and was forced to, to leave during the Second World War, and he ended up here. And I, I knew growing up um, expats, German expats, who, who never quite left Germany, like they never quite became American. They, they, they lived in America, lived American lives, but they were only still kind of living in, in their own Germany. Um, there are people in the military who, when they leave the military, they never leave the military. Right. It's like, you know, guys who, who, who after college, they never leave college. Like, those are the best days of your life, kid. It's downhill from here. <laughs> I, you know, and Brandon and I both know people who, who SEALs, um, who have left the service and, and, and can't quite seem to find a meaningful life outside the service. And, that, and I also know a ton of SEALs who have left the service and have created, for, carved out, you know, a magnificently meaningful life. 
you know, Marcus Luttrell, who wrote Lone Survivor, which is yes. maybe the most well-known SEAL book, um, has a magnificently meaningful life now uh, in civilian life. So it, you know, it is a profound culture and that has both its, you know, its up and its downside. That's really interesting. I, I think one of the great skills of a writer is to capture the culture, to capture the attachment to the culture, the identity. The word you used was belonging. So, mm-hmm. so whether you're talking about Navy SEALs or uh, Lancaster Amish, you know, there, there's yeah. a, a sense of belonging and what is okay here, what is not, how we live how we go forward. I, I find all that so, so interesting, whether we're talking memoir or, or fiction thrillers. You got to do a thriller. Wow, that's a far cry from being a cellist. <laughs> you know what's interesting about a thriller, too, is a, a memoir, you're writing about the person. And a thriller, you're really writing about the reader. True. I know it sounds weird, but it's like what you're – conscious of at every moment is the reader's experience. You know, I think, I think for me anyway, more so than in any other book, any other form of book I've written, I, uh, it is acutely about the reader's experience. It has to be because if you drop, if it drops for a second, you've lost the reader. They're so, gone. Yeah. Yep. You've snapped the thread. No, you're right. You're right. And, and that's a really good point to make because so many writers uh, struggle to not only get that distance from writing their own book, but then to mm-hmm. come back and work with their reader yes. so that their reader hangs in there. Look, John, yes. we could go on for days and days and days. What do you say I we invite could. you back? Works for me. Okay. You know where I live. You know where I live. <laughs> <laughs> I know the time zone. Hey, I'm coming yeah. out to uh, New Hampshire. You anywhere near there? Actually, yeah, pretty close, honestly. Really? All right. Let's do it. All right. Well, I just want to say congratulations to you and your wife on your upcoming book. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's really, really exciting. So I would love to get both of you in the studio here so we can talk more. Thank you so much for taking the time today. My pleasure. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you. Well, my dear listeners, this is about all the time we have. Thanks for letting me know what inspires you, what you want me to bring to the show, and what keeps you writing. So much of what I do is because I feel our stories matter. These are the stories we are living by. They're the stories we share in conversation. They're the stories that inspire us to be our very best. Thank you for joining me on the mission here at Story You Talk Radio. I'm Coach Debbie, and until next Thursday, namaste, my friends. Mm-hmm.